Christmas child, it's not too late. If you forgot or things were busy, go online. You know, it's really simple. Pastor Scott illustrated that for us the other Sunday. So, um, a reminder that our uh, our small groups are tonight at the Scott's home. It's a potluck style. It starts at 6 p.m. We will gather together, enjoy the food and fellowship, and then we'll dig in further uh, to God's word that's taught this morning. And uh, yeah, just be able to pray for one another, encourage one another. Uh, I have a praise report for you. A couple of weeks ago, we did a uh, ministry uh, update for our 5 and 2 food pantry. And we put it out there to the church to see if we if anybody wanted to contribute or felt uh, led to contribute uh, items that we could put together these uh, Thanksgiving boxes. So we were able to put together four boxes this um, since then. And we have two families already designated for those boxes. And so praise the Lord for that. But I wanted to extend this out to you that if you know anybody or you yourself are in need uh, this season, we would love to um, share those last two boxes out with you. So uh, if you would, are interested, you can talk to Melissa uh, Gord about that, or you can uh, touch bases with myself. This, you know, I'm usually hanging out right here after service, so you can come up to me or talk to Melissa Gord as well, who uh, has been leading the 502 ministry. So, um, that being said, praise the Lord for his provisions and uh, seeing some families just taken care of by the body of Christ here. And it's so good to see. Uh, ladies, I want you to mark your calendars for uh, Friday, December 9th. We're going, they're going to have, I'm here, like I'm going to be there, but uh, ladies are going to have a Christmas fellowship. And it's an ugly sweater Christmas party uh, and an ornament exchange. So mark your calendars. There's a sign-up sheet at the back table, and uh, we'll have some more information coming next week on that. Uh, and that really wraps up our uh, ministry updates for this morning. So let's pray for these ministries, and let's pray for uh, God's word that we share this morning. Father, we thank you for the opportunities that you've given us as a church to minister, Lord. Uh, to minister in outreach, Lord. To minister to each other as the body of Christ. Lord, we thank you for these opportunities. We pray over all these boxes that um, will be going, Lord, not only from our own church, but from all the churches, to minister to children in need throughout the world, Lord, and a means of being able to share your uh, gospel or the good news of Jesus. And so we just pray that, uh, Lord, you would direct these boxes to the places that they're going, Lord, to the hearts of the children that will be receiving them, Lord, that you'd be working in them to... Just open them up to you, Lord, and, and uh, your message, Lord, that good news. Lord. We also pray, Lord, over our small group gathering tonight, just that you would draw um, people out, Lord, just to uh, experience, Lord, that, that uh, fellowship with one another, that encouragement, Lord, to uh, dig in, Lord, to receive prayer, Lord, for 
for whatever is going on in our lives. Lord, we just uh, we thank you, Lord, for what you are doing uh, in and through us as a church, Lord, and, and look to you for uh, your leading as we gather together in those ways. Lord, and over our women's fellowship as they gather together, just that you would uh, bless them and encourage them. Lord, as they just celebrate this season, Lord, the season of your uh, first coming to earth, Lord, as we've been concentrating on your, your last your return to earth uh, over these past months. Lord, may we uh, just glorify you for your first coming as well Lord, as we approach this Christmas season. So, Father, we just pray over your word this morning. Ask, Lord, that you would bless Pastor Greg as he's prepared this message. Lord, just that the Spirit would speak. And we ask these things in your name. All right, good morning. I love anything that has to do with God's amazing grace, don't you? God's amazing grace in our life. And um, I was handed a, a letter, uh, an envelope this morning that was uh, taped to the front door of the church. And it's another praise report. We, um, we have, uh, it just, this just kind of blew me away because it just shows you how fruit remains. And the letter that I received uh, is by a man, a Richard Campbell. He said, Pastor, my name is Richard Campbell. I'm your sanitation truck driver. I want to make this donation of, he gave a certain amount of money here to your church. A while ago, your food pantry workers asked if they could pray with me and my crew. They didn't know at the time that we had just had a workplace shooting and missed it by two minutes. We couldn't return to our workplace. It was locked down as a crime scene. The one thing we could use was given to us, and that was prayer. So I said that I was going to give a donation to the church, and here it is. God bless your church, Richard Campbell. I don't know who that was that prayed, but I could take a guess. And it's probably our beloved Bruce Harrison that is with the Lord now that quite often look for opportunity to minister to the guys that pick up our trash here at the church. And when I say that it, fruit remains, fruit continues to come in. And this is a testimony of that. And so praise the Lord for that. We, um, we're going to continue in our journey in the book of Revelation. So if you want to turn there to chapter 12, we're going to be looking at verses 1 to 6 this morning. But while you're turning there, you might turn to the first book of the Bible, also the book of Genesis in chapter 3. Verse 15, I want to start with that. 
Genesis 3, verse 15. If you didn't know this, this is the first prophecy that we have in the Bible. Prophecy is very important. We're in a book of prophecy right now. And prophecy is throughout scripture. And God uses prophecy to declare what he is going to do before it happens. So that we might know who he is. We read in Genesis 3.15. It says, and I will put enmity between you that you there is Satan and the woman and between your seed and her seed he that he is Jesus shall bruise your head Satan and you shall bruise his heel a prophecy concerning the coming Messiah concerning even the redemptive plan that God has and had from the very beginning. God didn't make up the redemption of our souls. He didn't make all this up as he went along. It was prophesied that Jesus would go to that cross, that he would bruise your head and that you will bruise his heel. Jesus suffered on that cross. But Jesus at the cross, he crushed the serpent. He crushed the head of Satan. Aren't you thankful? Aren't we thankful as believers that nothing stands in the way of God's redemptive plan? I titled this morning's message, The Woman the child and the dragon. Interesting title, isn't it? It's all found in our text this morning. It's been, now this has been a couple weeks since we've been in Revelation. And I want to remind you that there are sections throughout the book of Revelation that we call parenthetical sections. These are sections within the timeline of the book of Revelation where we take a pause for a moment and more information is inserted into the narrative. This is one of those chapters. As a matter of fact, it goes to chapter 14. Parenthetical chapters. We're chronologically, as I shared a couple weeks back, we're in the middle of the seven-year tribulation period by chapter 12. <clears throat> Excuse me. Six of the seven trumpets had already been blown. Those last three trumpets are referred to as the woes, the woe trumpets that would be blown. There were the woe, woe judgments. We read in Revelation chapter 11, you could look at that, verse 14. It tells us that the second woe is past. Behold, the third woe is coming quickly. Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven, saying, The kingdom of this world has become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. 
that redemptive plan, those prophecies concerning the coming Christ, who would establish his kingdom in the millennial kingdom, going all the way back to the beginning, God had this in his plan, that the kingdoms of this world, the wicked kingdoms of this world, will become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. And Jesus is going to reign forever and ever. Amen? Amen. Amen. That's worthy of praise. Look what it goes on to say. And the 24 elders, which I believe is the church that is now in heaven, you and I, raptured in God's presence in the heavenlies, the 24 elders who sat before God on their thrones were told, we fall down on our faces and we worship God. Saying, we give thanks, O Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was and who is to come. And why would we worship? Look what it says. Because you have taken your great power and reigned. You have taken your great power and reigned. And why else should we worship? The nations were angry and your wrath has come. And the time of, of the dead that they should be judged. And that you should reward your servants, the prophets and the saints. And those who fear your name, small and great, and should destroy those who destroy the earth. We're going to be worshiping God in heaven for who he is and what he is able to do and what he is going to accomplish. And nothing will thwart the plan that God has for redemption. As we come into this chapter 12, we're still in the vision of chapter 11. We read in verse 19, the last verse, it says, then the temple of God was opened in heaven. This is the temple that is in heaven. And John says, I saw the ark of his covenant that was seen in the temple and there were lightnings, noises, thunderings, and earthquake and great hail. The ark, the ark of the covenant sitting in the heavenly temple to the Jew was the ark of the testimony. You see, the ark or the Ark of the Covenant, or the Ark of the Testimony, is what held within it the Ten Commandments. Those stone tablets were placed within that. There was also the jar of manna that was in the Ark of the Covenant. And we know that within this Ark, within these things that were placed within, also Aaron's rod that budded was in the ark, that these were all reminders to Israel of God's faithfulness to his covenants and promises. That's important for us to remember. Our God will always be faithful to every promise that he has given you. Our God is faithful 
and will be faithful to the nation of Israel. I've said this on numerous occasions that understanding the book of Revelation, it requires that we understand that God is going to be faithful to the promises and the covenants that he made with the nation of Israel. If you miss that and you take Israel out of the book of Revelation, you take it out of the equation, then you're going to mess up the book of Revelation. You have to realize that the book of Revelation is really God intervening once again, not just for the nation of Israel, the Gentiles also, but the primary focus that we see in the book of Revelation is Israel. That's important for us to know as we get into chapter 12 this morning. But in this chapter 12, we're going to see three scenes. And we're also going to see four characters this morning. The first scene that we're going to look at this morning is going to reveal Satan and the Antichrist plan. They have a plan. That plan won't go anywhere. And it will go somewhere, but God will end their plan. But in scene two, we're going to see next week a war break out in heaven between Michael the archangel and the great dragon. In scene three, we're going to see the woman is persecuted. It's important for us to understand who these characters are. The woman, the dragon... We're going to see in our text this morning the man-child and also Michael and his angels. And so let's read our text, Revelation chapter 12, 1 to 6. Follow with me. Now a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of twelve stars. Then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his heads. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth, to devour her child as soon as it was born. She bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God and his throne. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she had, has a place prepared by God that they should feed her 1,260 days. I've already said that chronologically, chapter 12 is in the middle of the seven-year tribulation period. But at this point, and in the second half, known as the Great Tribulation, things are going to escalate. 
It's going to move, it seems, at a faster pace as we begin to read on. It's going to increase in intensity as we see this last half of the tribulation growing even under the vile judgments that are going to be poured out in that second half. The rider of the white horse that we read about in Revelation chapter 6, the one who came on the scene as, quote, the man of peace is going to show his true colors, that he was really a deceiver. He came on a white horse. He comes on a white horse. But he's really a deceiver. He's the Antichrist. This persecution that Israel is experiencing really throughout all of the tribulation period is going to grow more and more intense against the nation of Israel, against God's people whom he loves. Look at verse 12. It says, For the devil has come down to you having great wrath. Why? Because he knows that he has a short time. You see, even Satan knows that his days are numbered. When we get into chapter 13, in a couple of weeks, we're going to see the culmination of what is known as the revived Roman Empire. It's spoken of in Daniel chapter 7. And by the middle of the tribulation period, this time that we're in right here, there's going to be a confederacy of ten nations that are going to be formed really under the leading of the Antichrist, his leadership. There's also going to be a one world religious system that will be in this world during the tribulation period. Imagine what that will look like. The church is gone. The true church has been removed. It's in heaven. And there's going to be a one world religious system that is going to be in existence under the Antichrist and the false prophet. The beast, who is also the Antichrist, is empowered and led by Satan. He's going to form also a monetary system. And you can see the workings of that in our world right now. You can see these things, how they're forming now. But by the middle of the tribulation period, there is going to be a one world monetary system. There's not going to be any longer the dollar and the yen and the, you know, there's going to be one monetary system that's going to be in place by the Antichrist who is then going to be able to have full control over everything that is sold, everything that man would buy. And all three of these satanic, we'll call them satanic systems, are going to be set up by the middle of the tribulation period. It's important for us to know that with all of these things that we read about in the book of Revelation, it's going to come to an end. And who do you know is going to be the victor? 
Jesus Christ is going to be the victor. He's going to bring all of this to an end. We're just reading the narrative. We're reading ahead what's going to already, what we already know is going to happen. But all of these satanic systems are going to come to an end. Look at your Bibles at chapter 12, verse 1. John says, now, I, now a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of twelve stars. I keep telling you I'm a literalist, but there are symbols in the book of Revelation. But it's important for us to note that when there's a symbol, there's going to be an explanation. There's going to be an unfolding of what that symbol is. If there is no unfolding or no explanation, then I read it and I take it in a literal way. But here we see John sees this sign. He calls it a great sign. It appears in heaven is where he's seeing it. This woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and her head a garland with twelve stars. John starts this chapter with this great sign. This great wonder, if you have the old King James. We see these words again in verse 3. Look at your Bibles. And another sign appeared in heaven. We'll see it again in chapter 15, verse 1, where John says, Then I saw another sign in heaven. You see, the word sign and the word wonder in the Greek, it's a word that means a sign, a mark, an indication, a token. You see, John uses this Greek word here to describe something that is great and miraculous. This sign is pointing to something that is of a deeper spiritual truth, but it's connected with the events that are going to be taking place. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 24, that prophetic chapter that we've been in and gone back to numerous times. In Matthew 24, 3, the disciples, they asked Jesus, what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And then in the same chapter in verse 29, Jesus says that he will be the unmistakable sign that the end of the age has come. Signs are all the way through the Gospels. And speak about God's power and his, his authority as the Son of God, as God in flesh. God used signs. And we see this throughout Scripture. And we're seeing it here even in the book of Revelation. I think there's some seven times that a sign is spoken of in the book of Revelation. A sign that John sees in chapter 12 here are not meant to be 
literal, literal, but symbolic or figurative in language. John calls it a great sign. Let me remind you of what I've said in the past. When you're reading your Bible, when you're reading the book of Revelation, we have to understand that there's a lot of Jewishness in the book, in the book of Revelation. If you don't understand it, that it's got a lot of Jewish symbols and Jewish things that uh, a Jew would have no problem understanding, and we as Gentiles quite often go, what's he saying? Then you're going to get mixed up. But, so we need to look into that and see, how did the Jew look at what was being said here in regards to this sign that John saw in heaven? Symbols are throughout the book of Revelation, but we're going to see that the interpretation of these symbols are brought out in the book of Revelation and also in the Old Testament. The first symbol that we see in verse 1 is the woman. We find actually throughout the book of Revelation, we find three other women throughout the book. And don't get offended with this, ladies, okay? But there's three women throughout the book of Revelation. The first is found in Revelation chapter 2, verse 20. It's that woman Jezebel of Thyatira who typifies the apostate church in that letter that was sent to that church at Thyatira. Jezebel. We have the woman of Revelation chapter 17 in verse 1. And she's referred to as the great harlot. We'll get to that. But then we have the bride. We have the bride of Christ. Revelation chapter 19 verse 7. Revelation 21 verse 2 and verse 9. Revelation 22 verse 17. All of them making reference to the bride of Christ, which I believe is the church. And so we have in this opening sign, this woman. She's different, though, from these other three. We're told that she struggles to give birth. And then in verse 6, we're told that she flees from the dragon into the wilderness for three and a half years. What's that period of time? That's the second half of the tribulation period. Again, back to Matthew chapter 24 and verse 15. Remember what Jesus told the disciples when the Antichrist sets up his image within the temple, you're going to know that you've been deceived. And at that point, Jesus says that you need to flee into the mountains. You need to flee Judea, and you need to flee to the mountains. And let him who's on the housetop, Jews knew what it was to be on the housetop, lounging up there, that's what they did. You that are on the housetop, don't go down and take anything out of the house. And let him who is in the field, don't go back to get your clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant in those days 
and who are nursing babies in those days, and pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. This is all Jewish. They understood what Jesus was saying here. For then there will be great tribulation, such as not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. It's what we're reading of here. It's what we're reading about in Revelation chapter 12, something that Jesus had already said to his disciples in Matthew 24. Some Bible commentators see this woman in chapter 12. They see it as the church. They say her appearance of being clothed with the sun seems to indicate that she's the church triumphant. I have a problem with that. In other words, they see the church going through the tribulation period. Or at least going to the middle of the tribulation period before they're raptured, before they're taken up into heaven. That's the mid-trib view. And they take the woman here and they say that the woman is speaking of the church. It's something that I personally reject in my studies and in my interpretation, making the woman the church. I believe that the reference that we're reading here is a reference to Israel. It's not a reference to the church. It's a reverence, a reference to God's people, Israel. And there's a number of things that I think tell us that. You see, if the woman is the church, then the text would be saying that the church is the one who is giving birth to Jesus. If the woman is Israel, of whom Jesus was born, then it makes no real sense. The Catholic Church, and I don't know if any of you have come out of Catholicism, or, but the Catholic Church teaches that this woman here is Mary herself, the Queen of Heaven. And I reject that interpretation also. You see, they teach that Mary didn't have any original sin. But what we see here of this woman, this woman is having what? Birth pains. And what are the birth pains a result of? The curse that was put upon this earth, going all the way back to the first book of the Bible, Genesis. I have shared in the beginning of this book that having a correct understanding of God's plan for Israel is of great importance when it comes to your interpretation of what you're reading. You need to understand that God has a plan for the nation of Israel. He has a plan for the Gentiles also, but he has a very specific plan for the nation of Israel. God is not done with Israel. There are people today that teach that God has put Israel aside. That the church has replaced Israel. Because Israel rejected Jesus as their Messiah, 
God then replaced Israel with the church. And so when we read our book of Revelation, we see that the church is going through the tribulation period. I reject that view. In this verse, the great sign or wonder that appears in heaven was a woman that was clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of 12 stars. This is all symbolism. This is all symbolism that a Jew would be able to quickly understand and go to. John saw this woman clothed, and by even the tense of the word, it means having been clothed with the sun, the moon, and the stars, which I see as having a direct correlation back to Joseph's dream in Genesis chapter 37, verse 9. This is how it reads. Then Joseph dreamed still another dream and told it to his brothers. Now, you know the story in Genesis, Joseph and his brothers, and said, look, I have dreamed another dream. And this time, the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars, which I believe the 11 stars are his brothers, bowed down to me. And we all know that story. The sun, I believe, is Joseph's father, Jacob, clothed, the woman clothed with the sun, which I believe speaks of God's divine protection, God's shelter. We read in uh, Psalm 8411, listen to this, for the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. And then she had the moon that was under her feet, which I believe is Jacob's mother, Rachel, a symbol of the 12 stars. As I've already said, Joseph's brothers or the 12 tribes, we might say, of Israel clothed with the sun, standing on the moon, refers to God's irrevocable promises. And I want you to, to remember those words, irrevocable. In other words, God cannot renege upon the promises and the covenants that he made with the nation of Israel. And it is all significant to what we are reading in the book of Revelation. God must fulfill what he promised he would do. If he's the faithful God, then he must do that. In Psalm 89, verse 35, we read this. Once I have sworn by my holiness, this is God speaking, my holiness, I will not lie to David, speaking of King David. His seed shall endure forever. Why? Because God said so and his throne as the sun before me. It shall be established forever like the moon, even like the faithful witness in the sky. 
This is all speaking about God's faithfulness to Israel, his promises and the covenants that he made with them. In the book of Jeremiah, in chapter 31, verse 35, it says, Thus says the Lord, who gives the sun for a light by day, the ordinances of the moon and the stars for a light by night, who disturbs the sea and its waves roar, if those ordinances depart from before me, says the Lord, then the seed of Israel shall also cease from being a nation before me forever. So let me ask you all, when you go out and you, in the day, look up at the sun, when you go out at night and you see the moon and the stars, are they still there? They're still there. If you're standing at the sea and you're looking at the waves roaring, have you ever been to the sea and they've just completely stopped? They continue to roar. And year after year, it, you know, it just continues to be there. You see, all of those are a testimony of God's faithfulness. God will fulfill his promises and covenants. And so, if you ever hear somebody say to you, God has given up on Israel. They rejected him. They said he's not our Messiah. He's not the one we're looking for. Don't ever believe that God has given up on Israel. Upon his people whom he loves. And it's not because they've been faithful. It's because God is faithful. Of why he is faithful to them. But he's faithful really to the promises and the covenants that he made with them. That's really good news for you and I. Because how many times have we messed up? Have we failed God? And yet we stand on the promises of his forgiveness. We stand on the promises of his restoration in our life. We stand on his grace and his mercies that are new every morning. Because our God is faithful to do what he said that he would do with us, even the church. And so I say, the church has not replaced Israel. If people tell you that, you need to search. The church has not replaced Israel. God has a very specific plan for the church, and God has a very specific plan for Israel. And so when we read the book of Revelation, and you believe that Israel is still in God's plan, it makes a whole lot of sense. If you just have that in your mind as you open up the book of Revelation and you see the Jewishness and then you, you correlate it to a lot of the Old Testament scriptures and things and you look in the context for what the symbols mean, it makes a lot of sense. You see, God knew ahead of time 
that Israel would be unfaithful, didn't he? This didn't catch the Lord off guard. I came up with this plan of redemption and you messed it up. God knew from the very beginning that Israel would be unfaithful. Even in the psalm that Pastor Kyle read this morning of the faithfulness of God. For 40 years in that wilderness, they were unfaithful, yet God remained faithful. He gave them the manna. Their shoes didn't wear out. He gave them a water to drink. He took care of them in that 40 years. And God is going to save a remnant of his people, Israel, during the seven-year tribulation period. Not because they've been faithful, but because God is faithful. All you need to do, and I keep telling you of these chapters, read Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11. It'll give you a good understanding of the faithfulness of God. As we go through this chapter, we can clearly see that these references all have reference to Israel. They go all the way back to Genesis and they go all the way to the millennial kingdom of God. All the way back to the book of Genesis and all the way to the last book of the Bible where we're going to read about the millennial kingdom of God. God has a plan. It goes all the way back to Genesis 3.15 and it's going to culminate in that millennial kingdom where Christ is going to set up his kingdom on earth. And he's going to reign for a thousand years. And we're going to reign with him. The woman is Israel. But we could say that the woman being Israel, that what we're reading in the book of Revelation is really an unfolding of what we already read in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Because that redemptive plan, that thread of redemption went all the way from there all the way to the last book of the Bible. God has a redemptive plan. We know that the promised seed that we read in 315 would eventually be Isaiah 9-6, the promised Messiah. And what the promised Messiah was in chapter 9, verse 6 of Isaiah would also be the virgin birth. In Isaiah 7, 14. And then the 12 sons of Jacob would become the 12 tribes of Israel. The nation of Israel of which Christ, Israel, Redeemer would come. He would come out of that. The Redeemer, the Christ, would come. What we see in chapter 12 is God's plan and protection of Israel during this last three and a half years. Again, it's because God is faithful that he will do this. Remember, and don't forget, Daniel 9.24, that 70 weeks are determined for my people Israel. 69 of those weeks have already been fulfilled at the cross 
the last week, the seven-year period of time that we're talking about in the book of Revelation is still yet future. Sixty-nine or seventy weeks are determined for my people Israel and for my holy city, which is Jerusalem. And that 70th week that we're in in this book is still yet to come. A prophecy that was foretold the unfulfilled yet future. Israel in uh, Isaiah 61.9, speaking of the nation of Israel, we read that Israel's descendants shall be known among the Gentiles and their offspring among the people. And all who see them shall acknowledge them and and they, that they are the posterity whom the Lord has blessed. This world sees Israel to the hand. They go, look at these people. They're back on their land. They're a nation again. A people that are alive. They, they were dispersed from their land for 2,000 years. And they're back in their land. The world sees it. And Satan hates it. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. For he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments. And as a bride adorns herself with jewels. For as the earth brings forth its bud. As the garden causes the things that are sown in it to spring forth. Listen to this. So the Lord will cause righteousness and praise to spring forth before all nations. You see, God magnifies himself in the nation of Israel. I'm going to take this little piece of land. I'm going to take this small amount of people. And I'm going to show the nations of this world that I am God. They shall know that I am the Lord. And so don't ever think that Satan, don't ever think that the Gentile, the wicked Gentile nations of this world are ever going to have an upper hand against God's people Israel. It'll never happen. They will never be dispersed from their land again. They will never be wiped out as a people completely by the Gentile nations of this world. It won't happen according to God's word. Verse 2, then being with child, she cried out in labor and pain to give birth. You see, this woman with child, Israel has suffered persecution and have suffered at the hands of Gentile nations for really all of their history. She's crying out in labor and pain. The ladies that have given birth... Just just think of that. Israel crying out and laboring in pain to give birth. It's speaking of the suffering of God's people. And there always has been, hasn't there, from Egypt and their bondage to the manger where Jesus was birthed. 
the nation of Israel has greatly suffered as a people. From the manger to present day Israel, they're still suffering. And they're still living under constant fear of attack from the enemies that surround them. Why? Don't lose sight of this. Why? Because there is a satanic influence, a satanic battle that goes around all that. Satan wants nothing more than to wipe out every Jew and to take them from their land. But he won't win. We read in Isaiah 26, 17, as a woman with child is in pain and cries out in her pains when she draws near the time of her delivery, so have, I, so have we been in the sight of the Lord. Speaking about the nation of Israel, just like a woman in labor. It's been our whole history as a nation. So have we been in the sight of our Lord. In Isaiah 66, verse 7, Behold, uh, says, Before she was in labor, she gave birth. Before her pain came, she delivered a male child. The Messiah coming through the nation of Israel. The woman, John sees, is with child. John hears her crying in labor and pains to give birth. Israel suffering. And notice in verse 5 that the woman, we're told, gives birth to a male child. And I want you to note that that's in the singular. Gives birth to a male child. Singular. This male child... I believe, is that promised Messiah that was to come. The one who came by way of divine birth came into this world through the woman, Israel, the nation of Israel. Verse 5 tells us a couple of other things concerning this child. That he will rule all nations with a rod of iron. We know from Isaiah 9, 6, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. In Revelation eleven fifteen, the kingdoms, that's our key verse in chapter 11 to this whole section that we're finishing up in right now in the book of Revelation. The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. This is like the victory shout of all that we're reading here. God bringing it full circle, establishing his millennial kingdom here on earth. Something that he foretold by the prophets would come to pass and it will. And we also read that this child will be caught up this child will be caught up to God and his throne. What's interesting is the word caught up there is the same word that's used for the church when we're raptured. It's harpazo. We read about Jesus ascending up into heaven in Acts chapter 1, verse 9, don't we? When he had spoken these things while they watched, he was taken up. 
and a cloud received him out of their sight. Lastly, we need to identify this fiery red dragon as he's referred to as in verse 3. John says it's another sign. He says another sign appeared in heaven. But this one he says, behold. It's like here to just out of the nowhere, behold, a fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his heads. Plural. His tail, it drew, and that word drew means as if it, it's like dragging something. His tail dragged, it pulled like, like catching fish a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to do what? To devour her child as soon as it was born. To devour the child. John sees this other sign. Both of these signs he's seen in heaven. And this sign appears to affect John differently when he says, Behold, as he sees this great fiery red dragon having these seven heads on it and ten horns and seven diadems on those heads. In the plural. You see, diadem, and the word diadem speaks of dominion and authority. Satan does have a plan. Satan has a plan that he's wanting to interrupt God's plan. Just as he tried to interrupt it when Jesus was birthed into this world. Herod, kill all the children. Two years and under. Go out and slaughter them all. He's tried to disrupt the plan of God. From the, from the cradle, from the manger. He was unsuccessful. But he does have a plan. And he also knows that his time is short. But it's going to fail. This fiery dragon has seven heads, which I believe these seven heads represent seven major powers or kingdoms that are going to arise. We're also told he has ten horns, which represent, I believe, ten kings that are going to emerge from the final kingdom during the tribulation period that's going to be headed up, as I already shared, by the Antichrist. When we get to Revelation chapter 13, verse 1, we read, where John sees a beast. It's, I believe, the Antichrist. When John sees a beast or the Antichrist rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, it gives us the understanding of what we're reading here. We're talking about the Antichrist. We're talking about kingdoms, 
of this earth. Rising up out of the sea, and the sea typically speaks of Gentile nations, having seven heads and ten horns. This is what is going to transpire during the tribulation period. We won't be here as the church, but this is what will be transpiring here on earth. In Revelation uh, 13.1, Then I stood on the sand of the sea, John says. This is the beginning of that chapter about these kingdoms. Then I saw on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising from the, the sea, having these seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. We're talking about the Antichrist leading up these kings or these kingdoms. We also read in Revelation 17, 9, here is the mind which was, has wisdom. The seven heads are the seven mountains on which the woman sits. Again, mountains speak of kingdoms in Scripture. In Revelation 17, 12, we're told that the ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have received no kingdom as yet, but they receive authority from, for one hour as kings with the beast, the Antichrist. And so we're going to get more into detail into these kingdoms as we go forward. We also know from Daniel 7, 24, it tells us that the ten horns are the ten kings who shall arise from the fourth and the final terrible beast that's going to arrive during the tribulation period. That's the revived Roman Empire. Remember the image that Daniel saw of the kingdoms and remember that it, it finished with the, the, the uh, ten toes which are symbolic, I believe, of that revived Roman Empire, these ten kingdoms that we're reading about now that are going to be headed up by the Antichrist during the tribulation period. And on these seven heads, we're told, are seven diadems or crowns. This fiery red dragon, Satan, has seven diadems on his head. We also see that the beast in Revelation 13.1 has ten horns and ten crowns. Both Satan, the dragon, and the beast of Revelation 10 gives us the answer, Revelation 13, excuse me, gives us the answer. And to what we're reading about, it's, it's really giving us an understanding of these symbols. We're told in verse 4 that his tail, that it drags a third of the stars of heaven and throws them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. Again, we take it back to the Old Testament. We read in Isaiah, we read in Ezekiel also about the fall of Satan. The fall of Satan we're told in, in the book of Isaiah, it says, remember the, the I wills of Satan? I will, I will, I will be like the Most High God. 
And we know that Satan was thrown out of heaven, cast down to this earth, and a third of the angels left their habitation and followed after Satan. We call them demons today, by the way. They were angels that are now fallen angels. They're demonic beings uh, today. Ezekiel 28, 13 uh, tells us that Satan himself was at one time an anointed cherubim with God until he wanted to be like the Most High God. And it says, until the day that iniquity was found in you and Satan was cast down and one-third, and it'll be a question we'll all have want to ask when we get to heaven, why would they want to leave? They're with God, why? But we know that pride is what really is at the root of all these things. They left their habitation. They were drawn away by Satan, and they were cast down to the earth. In context, chapter 12, chapter 12, these stars thrown to earth, I believe, are the angelic beings that followed after Satan. These are the ones that have become these demonic fallen angels. And we read in verse 9, So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old, called the devil and Satan. So there's no question there who deceives the whole world, he was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. We'll get into that scene next week when Michael the archangel has this battle with Satan and the fallen angels and we're told that they're going to be cast out of heaven never to be able to have access again. Verse 5 says, she bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God and to his throne. This male child is clearly speaking, I believe, of Jesus Christ. We're told that this child was going to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and this child was going to be caught up to God and to his throne. Then the woman, in verse 6, we're told, fled into the wilderness. That woman, who's the woman? Israel. The woman flees into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by who? Prepared by God that they should feed her there for 1,200 in 60 days. How long is that? Three and a half years. The second half of the tribulation period. How long did God have his hand of protection upon the children of Israel in the wilderness? Forty years. Is God going to protect his people, Israel, the ones whom he loved and save a remnant of his people in that last three and a half years of the tribulation? Yes, he will. But in that, there's going to be great suffering for the nation of Israel. As we read in Matthew 20, they're going to flee into the wilderness. They're going to flee to a place I believe is probably going to be Petra. 
in that area of Basra, down near the Dead Sea, there's an area there. I'll show you some pictures uh, the next week that you, you can see. I believe this will probably be the place that they'll flee to in the wilderness. God will divinely protect them in this location for that three and a half years. For what reason? Because God is going to save a remnant of his people. We need to remember that what we're reading here in Revelation chapter 12 is a snapshot. When you read your Bible, and specifically when you read the book of Revelation, quite often you're not getting all the details of everything. You're simply getting a snapshot of what's going to transpire. And so we end up with Israel fleeing into the wilderness. And what is all that telling us? It's telling us that just as we read about the covenant or the Ark of the Covenant and the promises that God put within that to show and remind the nation of Israel that God is faithful, faithful to what he promises. God will be faithful to the nation of Israel that's going to flee into that wilderness. And according to the book of Zechariah, when the Lord comes back in that day at his second coming, that even those who pierced him are going to look upon him and they're going to realize, you know what? He was our Messiah. He was the one we were looking for. We missed it. And there's going to be a remnant of Israel that's going to be saved during the tribulation time. 144,000 Jews, the two witnesses. God is using his people to save a remnant of his people and even of the Gentile nations. And so let's have our worship team uh, come up. If you're here and you're uh, in need of prayer, please come up. If you're here today and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, please come up. I'll stand right down here. Come up and talk with me and you can receive Christ in your heart. And you can know that if the rapture happened today, you're going to go home to be with the Lord. But if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you've never been born again, you've never invited him to come inside and save you from your sin, then if the rapture were to happen, you'd be left behind and you will go into the tribulation period. And so I give that kind of a warning because to me, I believe this. And this is serious stuff. And I believe that when that day comes, if you know the Lord, you're going to go home to be with him in the rapture of the church. But if you don't, you need to get saved today, and I encourage you to come down. If you're just in need of prayer, we'll have somebody down here that can pray with you. Come on down for prayer. If you need to recommit your walk to Christ, come on down. Somebody will pray with you. And so let's all stand.